This week on your Asian Best Friends, we chat about Roe v. Wade. Plus, we react to a controversy involving diversity at a local San Francisco high school. And we also talk about our love for fine dining and my hatred for people that just don't get it. I'm Bernard. And I'm Taylor. And we are your Asian Best Friends. <laughs> I was at this like um, pop up, mm-hmm. and there was these uh, Filipino kids mm-hmm. selling Filipino like frozen drinks, and that sounded really good. It was it was a yeah. hot day, and I was like, that sounds awesome. Yeah, like all those Filipino flavors, mango lychee mm-hmm. in frozen drink form, halo halo. Like that sounded hella good. So yeah. I walked up and. Uh, the one flavor that stuck out to me is this Filipino citrus called calamansi. Mm-hmm. And I grew up, eat, we had calamansi trees in our backyard. Like I grew up eating this thing with my parents, obviously from the Philippines. And uh, I was like, that sounds amazing. So I asked for it. I was like, can I have the uh, calamansi? And then these Filipino kids <laughs> looked at me and, and then the kid was, he was like, what? <laughs> and I was like, I, I like the calamansi. <laughs> And he he was like, huh? And then he looked at the menu and he was like, oh. And then he turned around to his partners in crime and he Uh was like, one calamansi. (laughs) And I was like, you're a disgrace. (laughs) You know what's so funny is that like, you know, I grew up going, like we were kids and I would go to your house. I never got to eat this cool shit. We just had like these... American subs from Safeway. <laughs> oh, yeah, There's always dude. a gigantic party sub at your house that we, we would roast eat. beef, roast beef <laughs> that we would eat. Provolone. Yeah, I have no idea that you had that fruit tree in your backyard. Yeah, we had a lot of good, like, cool Filipino food uh, in my house. But I, had, it's like I, I was at that time when we were friends. I was so into like American food because I had eaten so yeah. much Filipino food at that point. Yeah. I was bored of it. Yeah. Um, so I wanted the Subway sandwiches from Safeway. That the best thing about that sandwich was it's so fucking big. It was really big. It was huge. You could just cut off a slice of it. I wonder if they still have those sandwiches at Safeway. I don't know. <laughs> That'd be crazy if it's unchanged. I would buy it and eat it. Oh, I would just too. for nostalgia's yeah, sake. Definitely. definitely. <laughs> How'd we get here? Roe v. Wade. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't even know how to segue into that. Roe v. Wade. That's the this is the headliner for Asians in the news. But we've got another we got another big story that you suggested we'll talk about as well. Yeah, but Roe v. Wade is uh... Roe v. Wade's number one. What was, uh, when did you find out in the morning? Uh, yeah, really early. Um, like probably within the hour that it was announced or within the half hour that it was announced. Um, wow. I mean, we all saw it coming, right? But it doesn't make it any less shocking that it actually happened. Yeah. It almost made it worse. It's like, no, this can't be true. Yeah. It's too stupid. Totally. It's too yeah, evil. Definitely. There's, oh no, they're actually doing it. Yeah. They're actually, you think, yeah, they're going to do it. And then they did it. It's hard. I saw some guy post uh, talking about how he gets really angry about men that only understand women's rights once they have daughters. 
Mm. Um, which I totally understand. But he also said, but I was really pissed off when I was putting my kids to bed, realizing that my daughter has less rights than my son does. Right. And I think that really hit me because that's primarily the feeling that I'm feeling right now is Mm. just being a father of a young girl, knowing that my daughter just inherently is going to be viewed differently within our justice system than my sons are. And it just pisses me the fuck off. And yeah, it's as unjust as it gets really. I mean, you're just stripping over half of our population. We're 51% women stripping over half of our population of their autonomy, bodily autonomy. Makes no sense. Uh, And that sounds like an oversimplification of what's happened maybe, but it's not. That's exactly what they did. (laughs) I mean, it's that because you have to put it at some point, everyone has to look at it in those terms, because there are aspects of the abortion conversation that are gray. Just look Mm -hmm. at anyone who has had to make the decision to have an abortion. That is not an easy thing, even on a personal level. Right. But as far as. It's a hard decision, but they should have the right to make that decision. That's the point. They're two separate things. Yeah, totally. It is difficult, um, a difficult decision to make because of the gray areas surrounding what anyone considers to be whatever, like life, when life starts and all that, um, all those details that we're probably going to argue about forever. Yeah. But to strip away a woman's right to even have that conversation with herself is gross. And that's only one layer of it. I mean, they've, they've just ruined this shit. This is terrible for women in a society. That's already terrible for women. It just got worse. I mean, this is this, this eclipses every, yeah, you're right. Like, like we, women are treated as, uh, almost like a minority when they're not, they're the majority. Mm -hmm. Uh, we already treat women like shit. And this is if it couldn't get any worse, you know, we've taken the biggest, uh, back stumble we've ever taken here. As a as a society, as a government, it's really embarrassing. There's uh, someone in my life who she and her partner had been trying to have a baby for years, mm-hmm. like a long time. is very difficult, and she had three unsuccessful attempts. Mm-hmm. And on all three of those attempts, the doctor said, um, "If we don't halt this." process it could it'd be bet you could die right if you deliver this baby three yeah. times this happened within the span of a couple of years to one person those were three abortions that she mm-hmm. needed to not die that's that's just a, one case that i know personally yeah. <laughs> that, that speaks to the idiocy of um this decision by scotus i mean not to put it too bluntly but there's so many ways that people are going to die because of this decision it's unbelievable, right? Unsafe abortions, people committing suicide because they can't have an abortion, people being murdered because they can't have an abortion from their significant others. There's so many ways that this just becomes a more dangerous world for women. It's incredibly inflammatory, though. Like this, this is um, it's, it's an awful decision. I think the one. Um the one uh, you have to excuse me. I, I don't know. I can't cite the specific article, but I read a really good um, piece before the decision was made about abortion and a woman's right to um, bodily autonomy. 
everyone's right to bodily autonomy. It's a universal right. They characterize it in a way that really opened my eyes even further, where they essentially said, in, in no other scenario in our society, in our, in our country, do we force someone to sacrifice their life and livelihood for someone else's. The government never forces anyone to do that in any other scenario. So we cannot force women to put their unborn child's life before their own. You can't do that. You can't force that. Well, I guess you can now. Uh, they, they just did. Yeah. It's pretty ugly. But you know what I mean? Like, like this is not uh, conscionable mm-hmm. because there's no precedent for it in any other aspect of our society. You can't force someone to save someone else's life. No, there's lots of ways that America has continued to disenfranchise communities and make sure that they're viewed less than human in the eyes of the law. And I feel like this is just a continuation of our legacy. I agree. I mean, this is, this is the legacy of the old America where that was run by white men Mm -hmm. uh, that is bigoted and, and they're most of their philosophies are like pretty antiquated now. Mm-hmm. And I believe there's a bigger picture here uh, is what uh, I'm kind of picking backing off what you said. Um, I think when Barack Obama took office, it was a sign. It was a hopeful sign for us. Right. Like we were like, oh, we're actually making progress here. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is amazing. We enslaved black people and now we've got a black president. If that's not a sign of progress, I don't know what is mm-hmm. incredible. And I think if you look at the big picture, this uh, Roe v. Wade overturning is just one of the manifestations of that old guard, these old white men trying to cling on to the power that they have. They're oh, yeah. desperate, right? They're they're trying to push us all down mm-hmm. and keep their power and reinstate all these old ass, bum ass laws and um, ideals that we all know are wrong. Mm -hmm. Maybe not all of us, some people, you know, obviously people disagree, but I think the new, the younger generation has the power to change this, but these olds just aren't dead yet. You know what I mean? They're still, they're still clinging on, uh, these old whites, but they do this in myriad ways. This is, you're right. This is just one way that they do this. (laughs) Just one. And it's awful. Yeah. And it's never ending really. Trump was a big one. Trump was a big, like, pendulum swing in the other direction. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> They're trying really hard to cling on. And Trump is like a caricature of that those old ways. Uh, yeah. Those racist-ass, bigoted-ass, sexist-ass ways that we used to uh, run this country by. But I think our, our voices on the progressive side are getting louder and louder. And I'm still hopeful. I hope so. I mean, I think, if anything, it probably motivates the liberal base in this country. Um as we have, we're in an election year and, um, you know, I, you know, honestly, I think my biggest frustration is with being, um, on the left side of things is that most, we don't have the same tenacity as the right does. So I was talking to someone about that the other day. Yeah. So true. They mobilize, they mobilize better than us <laughs> all the time. And we need a big, we need a big boogeyman to go after in mm. order for us to right, be right. motivated. Trump was one, um, and I'm hoping a silver lining in this is that Roe v. Wade is another, so we can 
not continue to go down this path yeah. and repeal this shit. And hopefully some of those old white justices die and we can appoint some new ones. I found out about um, the Roe v. Wade decision to overturn uh, that that morning. It was a Friday, right? Like, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was a yeah, past it was Friday. Friday morning. And um, uh, my partner was just weeping. I, I was woken up because she was crying. Mm-hmm. And, and that's how I found out. And then um, it was a Friday, and later that day there were uh, there was a march in San Francisco, so I went out there. Yeah, to protest. Uh, I can't, dude. So it was that. If you guys don't know San Francisco, there's uh, we have a ferry building. There's a San Francisco ferry building, mm-hmm. and it's the it's at the end of one of the ends of our main street there, Market Street, down downtown San Francisco, and that's where I saw that there was going to be a gathering there, a rally there. So I went there. And I'm walking up to the ferry building and I, I was like, where is everybody? <laughs> I didn't see anybody. I was walking up. Yeah. I'm like, where are all these people? Yeah. And then I got, I got closer and there's like maybe 75 people. Hmm. And I thought, what the fuck? This is terrible. Mm-hmm. Cause I was already feeling down. I think we were all feeling down, dejected yeah. all day that day. I was really motivated to go out and protest. And I see like 75 people there. You know, if you, um, people with signs and they were all motivated. So that like kind of got my energy up and I was like, where is everyone? And then one, one of the people is like, okay, let's go. And I was like, Oh, like this is the start of the March. I didn't know it was the start of the March. I just thought it was a rally. (laughs) (laughs) I was really hoping that you, um, accidentally stumbled on a pro-life protest. <laughs> well, okay, so one of my fears when I've I've gone to many like protests and marches yeah. in my life and of one of my fears uh I think it's I don't think it's irrational at all is uh shooters. Oh, for sure. I uh, think about that every time. I yeah. think about that whenever I decide to take my kids to protest cuz I've taken them to a couple and yeah, it's always in the back of my it's mind. It's scary. Yeah. And especially in San Francisco, there's like countless windows everywhere. It's just windows yeah. and windows everywhere. Big open space. Not even like New York. It's like big open space with a zillion windows looking at you. Mm-hmm. And so at the ferry building, there's only 75 of us. Yeah. And I'm like on the edge of this group. And I'm like, <laughs> oh. so all this is just running through my head. Like, oh, dude, I'm a sitting duck. You're right. Can I move towards the middle? I'm going to move towards the middle. <laughs> I'm into this. Like, hey. Hey, ladies. Um, let's uh let's get cozy here anyone got my back no you want to stand behind me <laughs> so i got a little freaked out but then we started marching so we're marching down market which is like the long big long main street down san francisco and uh it was 4 p.m which i think explains the low number of people mm-hmm, yeah. uh, at the beginning of the march because people are still at work Mm-hmm. So we start marching down and I was a little nervous and still a little dejected by the number of people. And then, uh, the cops came and helped us out. Mm-hmm. They cleared a path. We were walking right down market street. And then we saw people like recording us from the sidewalk mm-hmm. and a bunch of us were just yelling at them. Like, you know, quit, rec- just join us, you know, just let's just walk. Mm-hmm. We're going to city hall. Just if you care and you're recording us, then you can join us. Mm-hmm. And then we just started to grow. Like we we're walking down market street 
yelling and chanting and, mm-hmm. and uh, we just grew a number by the block. It was amazing. Yeah. And then we were blocking traffic at rush hour and all these cars we were blocking, dude, a bunch of the drivers got out of their cars and started clapping, honking their horns for us, waving. But uh, once we got to city hall, um, there was like a ton of us. Mm-hmm. It was awesome. Cause then it was like five fifteen, five thirty. people were getting off work and everybody there was so energized. Uh, Mostly women, some men, mm-hmm. but um, everyone was so angry and but but supportive and thoughtful. Uh, a lot of really cool conversations happening. Obviously, women were pissed. Yeah, we were pissed on women's behalf. You know, it was awkward. <laughs> so the men in the protest involved in the protest we could only chant about half of the chants Mm -hmm. we couldn't join in on a lot of them yeah my body my choice it's like (laughs) i can't say that right so one time i tried to remix it Uh i said her body (laughs) their body their choice i got so many looks like don't try to join in on this i I understood i was just i was there i was just as a person uh here to support it was about it was about them it was about my sisters you know my compatriots yeah and uh just at city hall to see that that sea of people made me feel so much better because that morning just waking up to my wife crying Mm -hmm. but then fast forwarding to being in the middle of san francisco with the sea of people who are motivated to change the course that we've gone down this terrible road we've um, embarked on now it made me a little more hopeful, you know, that it was, it was really yeah. great. I, I needed that. <laughs> I needed that badly. I mean, I think that's honestly the most effective thing about a protest because I've been in a lot. Um, and most of the time, I mean, I'll be honest, not much happens mm-hmm. because of it. Um, but what does happen is your, uh, faith in humanity is restored and that's not a small thing that's huge yeah um because it gives all of us energy to face the next day and continue to um rail against this machine that we have to rail against yeah it, it that's what it did for me absolutely and i think it does it it does inspire people and um energizes people but it's also us wielding our freedom of speech. Yeah. It is the most American thing we can do, right? We're protesting. Totally. Um, it's very powerful. You know, mm-hmm. it's like our obligation. It's our freedom of speech. We're, um, we don't agree. We, yeah. we dissent. We dissent. Yeah. It does feel like an obligation. Yeah. yeah. For sure. Yeah. It was, I felt like it was my duty to be there, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, my partner couldn't be there. Uh, she was working. She was at home with the kids, but I went in her stead and was angry on her behalf (laughs) Mm -hmm. i was i lost my voice and it was awesome uh i felt yeah i did i'm not gonna say i felt good after it but i felt i felt better to see all those people um yeah there's also a weird dynamic yeah because at once in the crowd at, at, at city hall a woman behind me said where are all the men like there aren't enough men here Mm-hmm. mostly women and then two seconds later a girl in front of me said why are all these men here yeah isn't that isn't that strange yeah i mean it's not surprising though um 
I understand why you would direct all your anger towards <laughs> men in that moment um, and not want to see a man. And then I could also see the other side where you don't want to feel abandoned by um, men and you want them on your side because yeah. we should be on your side. We all need each other. We're, you know, yeah. You know, we feminism is other. about equality. Yeah. Know? But, you know, it's men have a long history of taking over things and turning them to shit. So I, I get it. I get it. <laughs> yeah, man, I get it. I did also notice that most of the men there kind of like me. Yeah. Unimposing little guys, you, you know, little effeminate mm-hmm. standing in solidarity with, with our sisters. Not a lot of bro tattooed bros around. There's probably some crossover there in experience. Not the same, but I think when you're not like a white dude, you do have some sense of what the struggle is to be discriminated against yeah. on base on the basis of something that you can't control. So I think naturally there's a certain amount of empathy that comes with that and drives those people to support each other in those times. I think that's right. I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad I went to that protest. It made me feel a lot better, but we've got so far to go. Lowell high school. Um, it's a high school, public high school in San Francisco that for a time had an admissions program that was merit based. So for, children, students to enroll, they had to meet a certain criteria academically um, to be accepted into this pretty, really prestigious um, public school. And then at, I believe at the outset of the pandemic, they changed that. Mm -hmm. The board voted to change it to a lottery system, citing the fact that the student body wasn't as diverse as they believed it should be. Mm-hmm. So they wanted to eliminate the barriers um, of this this um, meritocracy and thereby increasing the diversity. There, there was like a, I believe it was black students made up like 6% of the student body prior to um, the lottery system being implemented. The controversy is that now, uh, just recently, they voted to return to the merit-based uh, admission system, which has outraged a lot of people, but was actually brought forth amid a violent protest from Asians. Yeah. <laughs> this is so interesting. It's really fascinating. So, so right. this is what really happened prior to when, when the board was, had deemed that the student body wasn't diverse enough. In reality, the majority of the student body was Asian. Yeah. Over 50%. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't diverse in the way they wanted. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right? right? So, like, because the, <clears throat> the, bl- the black portion of the student body was so low. Mm-hmm. The Latino portion of the student body was so low. The white portion was bigger than the black and Mexican portion, but it was significantly smaller than the Asian. Yeah. Um, uh, segment of, of the student body. So what a, a bunch of Asian parents 
and educators got together and argued. Their argument was that this return or this this um, switch to a lottery based system is specifically targeting the Asian students because yeah. we're the majority here. We're not white. We're not a majority in this country. We're mm. a minority. Right. You're saying we're not diverse, but we're a minority that makes up f- over 50 percent of the student body. So you must be targeting us. Right. You're not satisfied with us being the majority. Yeah. How interesting is that? <laughs> what a what a complex conversation it is. It's so complex. <laughs> it's so complex. I mean, even when I sent that to you, I was like, shit, how are we going to break this down? Because there's layers upon layers upon layers to this, right? And how do you even approach it? What struck you, what struck you first when you when, when you uh, uh, read the story? Well, I had been following it. Mm. Um, so I think what struck me, my initial gut reaction when all of this came down was honestly exactly what the Asian parents were feeling of like, mm. this is just another example of people not understanding the plight of Asian Americans and viewing us as white when there's so many different experiences that make up the Asian American experience. And so much of that doesn't come from privilege. And so much of that comes from fighting for every ounce of what you can get from this country when they don't give you anything. So I think that was my first reaction. You felt (laughs) the attack on our community. And it just was, was visceral. My second reaction was probably more oriented around the education itself. Like everyone should have access to the best education. If Lowell High School is the best school and has the most resources and it's the high school that you want to get into, why does why is that merit-based? Why can't we create a program for people that allows people to have access to these resources that only a segment of the population has? Removing race from the equation, just thinking about it just from that merit-based system. Yeah, that's, that's it's kind of the irony of it, right? Because in theory... A merit-based admission system has nothing to do with race. Right. It's about merit. It's about it's about how yeah. you do uh, academically. That's that's just true. I mean, it's it has nothing to do with race. It's just about how you perform in school. We're looking for excellent, above and beyond students, mm-hmm. the best of the best. But the problem is that the barrier to entry stems it's it's about causality right like so there aren't like the um the portion of black and latino students at that school doesn't reflect the communities in san francisco mm-hmm. right there's a disproportionate thing there i'm with you i think it's not the solution isn't to implement a lottery system right just so it's even steven across the board that may to some people mean you know to them like oh now we're now it's you know suitably diverse but really you're um you're it's a band-aid that isn't gonna really help solve this deep-seated problem the problem exists prior to that admission it's about us like really giving the short stick to these communities this is an issue we're all familiar with right you know 
black communities and Latino communities are underserved in our country. Their schools are underserved as a result. And because their schools are shitty, they aren't prepared for a curriculum that you would get at Lowell High School. And what resulted is that when they implement, when Lowell implemented the uh, lottery admission system, grades tanked. I think it was around 30% of -hmm. the students got D's or F's. Right. Yeah. It just tanked because they implemented this lottery system. And a lot of those kids who came from those underserved communities and were dealt a bad hand prior to admission were not prepared for Lowell. So they, it's not their fault. They, they just were, they weren't prepared. They got, they, they're flunking classes at Lowell. Who, so what has this lottery system really done? So one of my biggest frustrations with being a liberal is the lack of tenacity that we have, (laughs) right? We mentioned that earlier. The second biggest frustration is the lack of understanding of nuance when it comes to these things. Yeah. And I distinctly felt that when I was in the food industry and I was making no money and there are all these different initiatives to, you know, try to up the minimum wage, right? And instantly I was in the food industry. I was like, that's going to kill this business Mm. overnight. It's going to kill this business and I'm going to be out of a job. Right. Right. And this is just another example. It's like San Francisco saying like, we solved it and look how diverse it is. And then just being like, we're done. Oh shit. Sorry guys that this isn't working out for you. You know, there's no support beyond the policy they rolled out to make themselves feel better. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like they're just making us some statement. It's like a black box on your Instagram account. It's the same, same shit, right? It's just like you don't actually care. You're just virtue signaling. Like that's all you're doing because you're, if you actually cared to your point, you would have gone to these underserved communities earlier than this. (laughs) No, if you really cared, you'd have friends who belong to those communities. I get the intent. Mm. I get the intent. I understand. I just don't think this is the best way to arrive at that um, destination. Right? Like, of course I want companies and schools, um, the population of these institutions to reflect our communities Mm. accurately. Of course I do. But I don't think that like a lotteries, it's just a crude way of getting there. Totally. It's like a, it's like hitting something with a mallet. Like, no, this requires a scalpel. Yeah. There's a really deep seated issue here that's causing such a low um, number of black students and Latino students to be at that school. It's yeah. not, the problem is not with the merit based admission system. It's mm-hmm. about, we don't serve these communities. Well, right. it's a huge issue. This is one of the symptoms. Mm-hmm. Right. A lot of these kids aren't prepared because we un- we fail them in their schools that they went to prior. Yeah. We failed them as a society. That's where the problem is. It's in those communities. So to overhaul an admission system at a public school that's like really prestigious, like that's not like you said, that just lacks nuance to me. Yeah. That solution is not a solution. Um, but so interesting that. The people railing against this, I'll call it a diversity initiative, are Asians. <laughs> right. That's so weird. But it's like, yeah. of course, of course, they're, they're being targeted here. 
These oh, students. they're for sure getting targeted. I mean, that's... Model minorities we are. Yeah, which is a crock of bullshit. I mean, that's just... Ugh. It instantly pits Asians against every other community and assumes privilege that doesn't necessarily exist. We've got no privilege. We don't have any privilege. <laughs> you know? That's crazy. Asian privilege. <laughs> what the fuck is that? I've never seen it in my life. It's just incredible. And I mean, in the New York Times, in the uh, the daily episode that we're referring to, they do talk about members of the school board being recalled. Right. And that honestly lacks a little bit of nuance, too. It wasn't solely based off of this experience um i have friends in the san francisco school district almost all of them were upset with how the school district in san francisco is run and how Mm. most of especially during covid um there was just a lack of focus from leadership and this is just another version of it right Um, right nothing fucking irritates me more than people from my side make me look like an idiot. And you know what I mean? Like I'm sure that in many ways I agree with where these people's hearts are. Yeah. But I think they're fucking idiots in how they implement. (laughs) I think I wouldn't say they're they're, the implementation is idiotic. Yeah, like it's like I said, it's like a mallet. They're trying to like hammer this problem with a club, caveman club. They just lack any real world experience, Mm. or it, it seems to me that they lack real world experience when it comes to what it's like to live. When you don't mm. have resources and it just, just throw them in there, throw, <laughs> throw them in the, this yeah. like school where like it's the most difficult curriculum in the city. Right, just throw them in there. Exactly. You guys, it's, dude, you guys ready? Yeah. It's insane. It's insane. You know, what's really cool that I've been really excited about lately. Hmm. So like, I'm at an age, we're at an age now where like a lot of our friends are like kind of settling down, mm-hmm. right? They've got, we all got houses or whatever. We're more financially stable. We got kids maybe. So a bunch of my friends just lately have been like, have developed a new interest in like eating out at like nicer places, like more like um, higher end places. So they've been like asking me like, Hey, do you want to go out like, like to this dinner? They've never been before to like these kinds of places. Oh, I see. So I've been going out with my friends and like kind of showing them the deal about mm-hmm. like, kind of like more elevated food experiences. And it's been so much fun. Like, I love that. I love that people are like, I love seeing people get into that mm-hmm. because, and this is what I really wanted to talk about is how people m- have misconceptions about those kinds of restaurants. Hmm. Right. Like people who never maybe been to, I hate like the term fine dining, but you know, they've never been to a higher end place Mm -hmm. and they go, why would I go to this place if I can just get a bucket of chicken for five bucks, you know, down the street, that's like way more food. Mm -hmm. And then that's, and you know, then they shit on fine dining in that way. Yeah. So I get really excited when people, it like clicks for them, like why it's worth it to actually go to an establishment that gives you your money's worth in other ways. Yeah. 
fine dining, there's such a high barrier to entry. It requires so much money. So it's generally way more expensive. It's way more expensive. Um, and it's a different thing. It's uh, an experience. Like, that's what it's designed to be. Right. It's designed to be an experience. It's not designed to get you the fullest. That's um, the thing. I think that's what everyone's, expe- not everyone, but a lot of people's expectation of a meal is, is just you're trying to be not hungry anymore. Which makes a lot of sense because that's totally valid. <laughs> no, really, it is. It's totally valid. I get that. I get that. Right. Um, but, you know, there's off and on, there's been discussions throughout the food world. I see it come up every feels like it's on a three-year cycle. Like, is this the death of fine dining? And I hope not. I genuinely hope not. Because to me, even when I was broke as shit, I'd save up all my money to go to the best restaurant I could possibly go to because if you can find that place, it alters your perception. Yeah, um, if, you, if you can kind of dial into what they're doing, right? You, you get it. You were in the industry, so you totally get it. Yeah, yeah. And to be completely honest, it's not food that I would ever want to cook. Um, oh, God. That was the worst job I had in the industry. <laughs> plating. Plating yeah. desserts. But the craft behind it is so incredible. I and love the it. attention behind it is so incredible. We would lose something if we lost it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just like, you know, we'd lose something if we lost any high art. And I don't necessarily think food is art, but when you look at things, anything that changes your perception, Mm. I guess. And if you really key in on the experience of a fine dining restaurant, it can change your perception on what food is. It can change your perception on how you've viewed things in the past, but it requires you to be a full participant. Yeah. It it shows you food that you probably would never be able to make at home. Uh, They're pushing boundaries and they're using their imagination to come up like like I think you're saying like with flavors and textures that you that you've maybe never had before mm-hmm. um exposing you to new things but I also you know when I've been like I said I've been having so much fun going to these awesome restaurants with my friends who don't typically do this and like to see them have a good time cuz I'm always worried that maybe they're not going to like they're going to like good you know, like hundreds of dollars for that, mm-hmm. you know, for two hours at this place, but they've all like had a great time. And I, I think that's awesome. Cause I don't want them to waste their money. Yeah. I wouldn't blame them if they didn't have a good time. Right. Cause it's not for everybody, but it's so much fun. And I think the, for a lot of people, what the kind of disconnect there is that that high ticket, that high price What's included in there isn't just the food. Mm-hmm. People are just thinking about the food that they're paying for. I'm going to this restaurant, paying for this food. Why am I paying two hundred dollars? But it's like, no, it's not just the food. It's it's the decor. It's that the bathrooms are clean. More importantly, more maybe more than anything, is the service, it's the, the hospitality, <laughs> right? It's the labor. It's it's, it's the um the ingredients, right? Like there's so, there's so many little aspects to that, those experiences at these restaurants that collectively make, you know, the experience that I think a lot of people just don't value very much. I mean, that's, yeah. I mean, that's part of it. I mean, mainly because the service industry is devalued on a whole in this country. 
Yeah. And, oh yeah. Uh, yeah. We saw that. Uh, we saw that during the uh, <laughs> fucking uh, pandemic. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think you're also just not valuing the expertise of the people that are putting it together. It's like, almost like I don't. I didn't want to say that. I was thinking that, but it's like that's the toughest one to sell people on if they don't eat that kind of food a lot, right? If they if they have maybe a more narrow experience with food, it's hard to sell them on that, right? Or if they just have a, a narrow experience of the food industry. Mm. There's hours and hours and years of experience in those dishes and trauma behind those dishes. Yeah. And like, there's so much that goes into them and that's what you're paying for. Right. And you do that willingly in so many different aspects of your life where you say, this person's an expert. I'm paying this amount of money because this person does this the best. Right. Why would you not do that for food? Because it, I can yeah. tell you there's like not a harder job to do than being a cook at one of those restaurants. Absolutely. Yeah, I can I can actually speak from experience as well. Uh that shit almost killed me. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. It's hard work. It's hard work. Yeah. Um and, but I think we're starting to see um kind of a shift in people's perceptions of these type of establishments. It's kind of cool because I would actually include um, not just, not just fine dining places, but like places that are more of an experience, like that kind of um, like a pop-up where there's like a line around the block for fried chicken. And yeah. then someone who doesn't do that kind of thing, like, why am I going to wait an hour for this goddamn fried chicken? I could just go to KFC. Right. You know, I would include those type of places too, because those are experiences on their own. Right. Oh yeah, and yeah, you know, I mean, there's magic behind those places. Love that shit. Pop ups. Yeah, I mean, there's so many ways that that experience can change. Like, I remember going to Texas and like mm. kind of doing the barbecue. Tour. Perfect example. And I went. The first place I went to was a spot called Smitty's, and you walk in. The first thing you do, you're in like this dark hallway, and you literally see just wood burning on the floor. Because they're making <laughs> they're making their lump charcoal. <laughs> and it's just like logs on fire. Amazing. On the floor. Amazing. And then you eat in this basically like a cafeteria setup. And it was amazing and I'll never forget that first experience. But that's that's all of it. Yeah. It's I I think once you get into it, like um a few of my friends lately have been getting into, it's so exciting because now once you've kind of recognize what the value is like why you're paying this premium then the whole world opens up then you get excited when you see a new concept right like this new chef making whatever like haitian food mm -hmm. never had haitian food and they've a lot of people are talking about how this person is um making delicious haitian food and there's all all this buzz is surrounding it there's something to be said for like buzz and trend things that are trending and stuff like that it doesn't necessarily mean the place is great but i like the scent i like the um community aspect of food yeah. i like the conversation like if i hear of a cool sandwich spot from like a journalist or um online I, yeah that excites me like i want to go check it out even going going back to those moments and food that you have like i remember the dish that took me to the industry. I remember I was going to this vegetarian restaurant 
because my girlfriend at the time was a vegetarian and I was like, okay, I'll throw her a bone and we'll go to this fucking vegetarian restaurant. And I kind of went in there pretty skeptical. And then the first dish that came out was this dish called um, cauliflower in a cast iron pot. Mm. I was like, what the fuck is this going to be? <laughs> <laughs> and then the first bite, I was just like, this is the best dish I've ever had in my entire life. Wow. And it was by um, a chef named Jeremy Fox, and it was at a restaurant called Ubuntu, which little that I know was going to become one of the most influential restaurants in America. But the moment I tasted that, I was like, I got to figure out how the fuck you do this. Like, right. what do you do to learn how to do this with food? And that amazing took me on a completely different life path that I was on for like a decade. Wow. And that's like the power of food to me. And that's the power of going to nicer restaurants where you're paying for that expertise because it can change how you view things and how you view your own life and what you want to do in it. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. Uh, I think these days there's a popular sentiment that like, I mean, there's a, there's an old, there's an old uh, saying that, that coincides with this actually is that, you know, everyone's a critic. Everyone's, mm-hmm. everybody's an expert type mm-hmm. of thing. Like who cares what the experts have to say? I have, I have good taste too. You know, like that yeah. whole attitude. Um, I've definitely dined at places like this with people who have that attitude and it's mm-hmm. the most irritating yeah. thing ever where they I can make chicken better than this, yeah. but it's frustrating because you and I have the perspective of knowing how uh, much you have to sacrifice to get good at your craft right. in that environment. Mm-hmm. That is a hell hole mm-hmm. to churn out. I mean, it doesn't have to be. There are a lot of restaurants nowadays that, that have good environments in their kitchen, but it's always intense. Even if it's like a healthy kitchen environment, you're going to get your ass kicked yeah. no matter what. So it's it takes a lot of sacrifice and pain and work to be able to make dishes like that cauliflower in a, in a stone pot. Mm-hmm. And those stories, I think, go over a lot of people's heads and that's okay. They don't have to connect with it that way. Yeah. But uh, I think the beauty for me right now is just going out to these dinners with my friends and just seeing them like smile and eat this food and really enjoy it. I went out with my friend to not a super high end place, but he had never had ceviche before. Mm-hmm. So I had him try ceviche and he totally thought, like was sure he's going to hate it. And he like loved it. You know, it was it's just it brings me so much joy to share food with someone, period. But also to just see them try something new and actually be open-minded about it and like it. Like, that's so cool. It must be, and it's, it must be so cool for the chefs, you know, in the kitchen as well to see people have that experience. Oh yeah, for sure. Eye-opening experience. Sometimes. I mean, when I was cooking, I didn't really, I was doing it for You weren't myself. staring out the, <laughs> the service window just like, oh. Um, but yeah, I mean, I get that feeling with my kids. Um, I think I'm a little bit more jaded with adults. I'm just like, you haven't figured this out yet. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. That's such a good, that's such a perfect illustration of the, our personalities, like our different personality reacting to the same person. He's eating the ceviche. He's like, you've never, you don't like, you've never had ceviche. And I'm just like, you love ceviche now? 
good job, man. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I get I get a ton of joy of introducing my kids to new things um, and having them try everything. So much of my life has been oriented around food, even before I was in the industry. That magic can happen, even late for some people, I guess. Uh, yeah, no, but um, I know truly, I'm, I'm, I have been having a lot of fun uh, eating this food, but it's just got me really thinking about that, about um, people who don't get fine dining and elevated food experiences and then get it. I, I'm in love with it right now. Like, I'm so excited to go out to these dinners, uh, these meals with my loved ones. Uh, Taylor hates them. <laughs> he, he, Taylor does not like that they're having a good, a good meal, a good time. He's uh, upset that they, it took them this long. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're listening and you happen to know Taylor personally, which I actually know this to be true. Oh yeah. Taylor hates you. Yeah. I'm Bernard. And I'm Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> and we are your Asian best friends. <laughs>